We have a little bit of a lengthy reading, and for all the kids in here, you guys have joined us in the middle of our Revelation series at the most exciting chapters in the next few weeks, and uh, there's some really cool stuff in here, but most of all, we want you to see God's grace and mercy and love in his word today, so please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Our reading this morning is from Revelation chapters 8, 9, and 11. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. 
Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels, who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you give us your word the story about you and your love to your people, how you long to bring your kingdom here, how, long, how you long to bring justice uh, to our world. And we ask that today uh, that you would allow us to have years to hear and a mind to understand and a heart to receive what you have in store for us here. Father, we ask that uh, you would give us eyes to see and we would receive your word so that it would bear fruit in us 30 60, 100 folds, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you a question. How good are you at recognizing warning signs? Warning signs. Ten-year-old Tilly Smith was on a family vacation to Phuket, Thailand on December 26, 2004, and she was walking on the beach with her sister Holly and her parents when she noticed something odd about the ocean. You see, two weeks earlier, she had learned about tsunamis in her geography class. And her teacher had showed a video, and that really kind of caught her attention. And as Tilly and her family were walking on the beach, she noticed that the waves were going out, but not coming in. She alerted her parents that something terrible, something unusual, something scary was about to happen. And at first, they were pretty dismissive, and they just told her, you know, just enjoy the beach. I don't think anything is to be worried about. And she began shouting. She began shouting, there is going to be a tsunami. 
The adults didn't get it at first, but finally they began to understand what she was saying. So they grabbed the hotel staff, and the hotel staff finally kind of comprehended what was taking place. They got everyone out of the water, off the beach, and headed to the upper floors of the hotel. Minutes later, water surged right over the beach. It was one of the walls of water that came through and destroyed everything in its path. The resort was actually destroyed. But that section of the beach along the shores of Phuket were one of the ones where no one was killed or even seriously hurt. I mean, it's remarkable that given over 200,000 people died in that Boxing Day tsunami in 2004, all because they listened to 10-year-old Tilly when she recognized the warning signs. Warning signs. You know, this passage we just heard read about the seven trumpets. The best way to approach this is to think of it as a warning. A warning to run to Jesus for shelter from the impending storm. Just keep that in mind as you consider this very long passage. Because we're in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Revelation. And, you know, if you've been here, you kind of know what this is about. But if you're new today, you know, this word revelation, the word apocalypse, it just means unveiling. It's the pulling back of the curtain to get behind the scenes, take a look at the dynamics of history itself. All the things that are ordinarily hidden from us, God is showing us in this book some of these spiritual realities and this incredible truth about the world we actually live in. Now, last week, we saw the opening of the seven seals on the scroll by the Lamb of God, and we got a snapshot of the world that is opposed to God and His rule, and that even though God's people are suffering for their faith and live in a world that's hostile to them, what we see and what we saw is that God is with them. And today, our passage begins with the seventh seal, which started our reading. And when that seal is opened, notice there's this great silence for 30 minutes. It's almost as if the seventh and final seal is going to deliver something that we've all been looking for. And the seven trumpets are given to seven angels, we're told. And what we see when that seventh seal is broken is that God doesn't look the other way while his people suffer. The beginning of the passage tells us that the prayers of the saints are offered up to God and they don't go in one year and out the other of God. But it says he takes them, he puts them in a censer, he gives it to an angel and throws it back on the earth because he's heard the cry of his people and God is going to act on it. He's going to make things right. He's going to bring his judgment. His kingdom is going to come. And we see this when the final trumpet is blown in Revelation eleven fifteen. His kingdom finally comes. That's what we're told here. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, before we actually get to the seven trumpets here, I want us to think about how to see the relationship between the seven trumpets and the seven seals we looked at last week, 
And in Revelation 16, we're going to look at the seven bowls being poured out here. Oftentimes, when we just read the scriptures, it looks like all these events, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, are take place over a period of time in kind of a sequential way. But what we begin to understand as you study the book of Revelation, that they're talking about the same moment in history, this time period between the first and the second coming of Jesus. And what Revelation is actually doing is showing us the same scene from different angles. And each angle actually helps us to see and understand the different aspects of things that are taking place in this period of time. That's what the best commentaries and the scholars have kind of come to understand about the book of Revelations. Don't think about these things as three consecutive separate events, but think about it like you would when you watch a football game, okay? And here's what I mean by that. Nowadays, I love watching football at home, and you know why? Because when you watch, they have the most amazing camera angles for every single play. And did you ever notice when anything significant happens, what do they do? They show you what took place from numerous camera angles. And when you start stitching them all together, what do you see? Everything becomes very clear. And this is what is happening in the book of Revelation. You have Revelation 6 and 7, the seven seals, the trumpets in 8, 9, 10, and 11, and the seven bowls in Revelation 16, which we're going to get to. And it begins to show you the same period of human history, the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, and it begins to show us how all of it work together. Now, this morning, let's talk about the trumpets. What are they? What do they symbolize? How do we think about them? What do we learn about God? We have lots of questions here. And let's talk about the trumpets for a second. Because in the Bible, the trumpets are blown for a number of reasons. Some of you may know this. Sometimes they're blown to call to people together for the worship of God. You see this in Numbers chapter 10. That's what happened. A trumpet is blown and people are gathered. Sometimes a trumpet is blown to enthrone a new king. And you see this in places like 2 Kings 9. But mostly it was blown as a warning. It was blown as a warning. Joel chapter 2 verse 1 says this, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. It's a warning that God's judgment is coming. A warning to tell people to run to find shelter in God himself. Run to find shelter in Jesus because he wants to forgive you. He wants to rescue you. Now, the judgment referred to in these seven trumpets is actually for a very specific group of people. If you look at chapter 8, verse 13, before uh, the fifth of the trumpets are blown, we see there is an eagle flying and crying out, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. Those who dwell on the earth. It's a technical phrase referring to those who oppose God 
and his kingdom. People who feel very at home in this world, who trust in earthly security, who cannot see beyond the things that are temporal, and they begin to reject God's mercy. The judgment of the seven trumpets are not against everyone, but for this group. Because you see, when the locusts from the bottomless pit are released after the fifth trumpet, did you catch that in Revelations 9, 4, it says what? Do not hurt those who have, been, who have the seal of God on their forehead. And that's a reference back to Revelation 7, 3, which we saw last week. When those who are the people of God have been sealed who are told, you belong to God. You are secure. And why are they protected? Because they're good people? No. Because the Lamb of God has been judged on their behalf. God's people have sought shelter in God's mercy offered in Jesus. So they are secure. They are safe. So when you begin to read the book of Revelation, you know, if, you end up, if you're a Christian and you end up feeling scared, you kind of are missing some of these key phrases along the way here. That you've been sealed. That you are protected. That you are protected from the wrath of God that the trumpets warn us about. Now, I don't like talking about this stuff, about the wrath of God. Gosh, it makes me nervous. It kind of makes me scared. I think it makes everyone un uncomfortable but you know what? I think all of us know something. That regarding our relationship with God, this is what is true. We know there's something wrong. We may suppress it. We may deny it. We may ignore it, get rid of it. We may say it doesn't fit with my view of how the universe works. But the scriptures tell us beneath it all, we know something, that God's wrath is real. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So they are without excuse. They are without excuse. And let's just take this idea for a second that Paul lays out in very clear language here. And what we have in Revelation, it actually paints for us in images in these same, these seven trumpets here, that in the history of the world, the world we live in, the world in the first, between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ, the trumpets that represent the wrath of God tell us and show us that God is against evil and sin, and he's going to do something about it. That he's going to do something about it. I think we all know that this is true. Scripture actually tells us that our conscience is there to inform us that we know when something is right and wrong, especially when we see it in others, right? This is what it says in Romans 2. Especially when we see it in others, we like to call it out. And we're like, that should be punished. But our inconsistency is when we see it in ourselves, we want to hide it. 
We don't want anyone to see it. We don't think it should be punished. But we all know in the depth of our hearts there is right and wrong. Our conscience tells us about it. We also know from the scriptures that you will reap what you sow. There are consequences to our actions, you know? And Romans 6, 23 tells us the wages of sin is death. All of this is telling us something, that something is wrong in us and in our world. It's not the way that God had intended. But what specifically the seven trumpets begin to tell us is this. Not only do we know it in our hearts, that we actually see it in our world, that the wrath of God is actually shown shown as we begin to see and experience things that are hard. As God begins to say in Romans chapter 1, the way his wrath is shown is that he says, you know what? If you're against me, you're not interested in things like my uh, forgiveness. You're not interested in experiencing my love or my wisdom, and you want to do your own thing. You know what judgment begins to look like? God says, go, do what you want. Go ahead. As it says in Romans 1, he gave them over to the darkness of their own thinking because evil is self-destructive. And this is the picture we get in Revelations. It says, you want to go worship a beast? Fine, go do it. Worship him. But remember, he's a beast, and he is eventually going to eat you alive. You want to drink the wine of Babylon? Go right ahead, but it's poison. And that's the wrath of God, letting us go on our own way to choose to be apart from him. You see, when you hear all of the images and the judgments that are coming from the trumpets, each of the trumpet sounds and the judgment that begins to show up should remind you of something that came from the Old Testament. See, when these first Christians heard these stories some 2,000 years ago, I don't think they're thinking about the future. You know what I'm saying? They're not thinking about, man, maybe one day some of this evil stuff is going to happen. But you know what they would be thinking about? They would be thinking about things that have already happened and continue to happen. You know why? I'll give you a few examples. Look at the first trumpet sound. And what do you have? A fiery mountain that turns the sea into blood. You have a second trumpet. I'm sorry, the first trumpet is the hail of fire, blood on the land, okay? The second trumpet is the fiery mountain that turns the sea into blood. The third trumpet sounds, and all the fresh water, not just sea water, becomes what? Bitter. People die from drinking it. The fourth trumpet sounds, and the universe, the cosmos, the sun and the moon and the stars withdraw their power of light and life. It's as if the world that is supposed to sustain us is now harming us. Creation, our environment is now judging us. Now, when you think about all of these things, it should hearken you back to the Old Testament and the book of Exodus because these are reminiscent of the plagues that befell on Egypt. And remember what Moses did to Egypt? These were all signs, judgments against Pharaoh, so that Pharaoh would repent. 
But all of these things are showing destructive things in our lives and in our world are God allowing these things to happen over and over again. And the message that is sounded is repent. Repent. Can't you see God is saying in all the pain of life, it's actually showing us something is not right. And when we're told in the fifth trumpet about this powerful reality that the one who controls all of these locusts, these evil locusts that have come out of hell, this one who in Hebrew is called Abaddon, the one who in Greek is called Apollyon, which means the destroyer, this is the devil, the evil one, the spiritual enemy of God himself. And even though he's the enemy of God, He's allowed to roam the earth and do God's bidding. And what does he do with these locusts? He goes around harming people, torturing people. Now, what are we supposed to learn about these things? What are we to know? Does it mean that every time something evil is done, God immediately creates retribution, and sets it right? I don't think so, because we know the passages, there are many passages in the scriptures that actually don't teach that everyone will get their due in this life. But judgment is coming. But the things we do see around us, these are signs that evil is being punished, and God at times reveals his wrath, and we are to hear the sound of the trumpet saying, God is near. You need to take stock of who you are. You need to connect to him. He is offering you his protection, his love, his forgiveness. And we are to hear these things as sounds of trumpets that are meant for us. One of the worst ways to read these passages, I think, is for Christians to sit there and think, okay, since I'm safe, let me go around and figure out who needs to repent, okay? That's a terrible way to go about this. You know, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus says something very interesting in verses 1 to 5. He says, you know what? There were a number of Galileans who were executed by Pilate. And at about the same time these executions took place, there were about 18 innocent people when a tower just crumbled and fell on them. And listen to what Jesus says here about these two events and this atrocity here. And he said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. What is Jesus trying to say? Hey, when terrible things happen in this world, and you're thinking some people really deserve it, some people don't, and I don't understand it. Jesus is saying, you should begin with, I need to repent. 
I need to repent. That's the message of this passage here. It's to actually say, Lord, what I need more than anything else is to recognize that when I see these things taking place in the world, these trumpets, these trumpets are meant for us to draw near to you and run to your loving arms. You know, what's scary is that when the sixth trumpet blows and you have this incredible image of 200 million horses from hell with tails that have snakes on them, breathing fire out of their mouths and who are going around tormenting people and the scriptures are saying, hurry up, repent, repent, and repent. And people are being disarmed. And yet, at the end of chapter 9, you know what it says here in verse 20? The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their theft. They chose to ignore the warning. You know what? In God's great economy, out of his incredible love for the world he created and for his people. God is going to judge evil. And some of you might be saying, you know, I don't care. I don't feel like I need God. And maybe you're offended that God would actually judge something as good or bad. And maybe you're saying, I don't believe in this angry God who judges people. I believe in a God of love. I believe in a God of peace, and that's all fine. But you know, in the scriptures, it says a couple of things. The wrath of God is revealed so people would repent. But we're also told that the goodness of God is revealed for the exact same reason. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Now, if you're sitting here and you reject all this talk about God's judgment and his wrath, let me ask you something. What have you done with the goodness of God? Has it actually led you to repentance? Have you heard that trumpet? Has, you, has it led you to say, God, you are so beautiful. I want to see more of you. I want to experience more of you. But here's the point. Whether it's the wrath of God or the goodness of God, it's asking you and pointing you to the exact same thing, which is what? God is saying, I so desperately want to have a relationship with you. I am ready to forgive. I am ready to shelter you. Will you come? And will you come? Some of you are saying, I don't understand. How can a loving God actually bring judgment? But let me tell you something. And let me ask you this question. If you've ever loved anyone... If they are harmed, if they are hurt, if they are abused, what is the first emotion that wells up in your heart? It's anger. It is anger. You know why? 
Because the things and the people you love, you're going to protect. God, when he sees his creation suffering, when he sees injustice, he can't leave it alone because that is an aspect of his love. How can he allow someone he loves to continue to suffer injustice and feel nothing? That's not the God of the scriptures. And what you see on the cross, which is the ultimate outpouring of God's wrath, is God himself becoming one of us through Jesus Christ and saying, I will bear the brunt of my wrath. Because that's his love. Because I have to hate that which destroys what I made and what I love. So I'm going to go to the cross. I will boil in my own stew. I will drink the cup of my own fierce anger. And even if you disagree with that, one thing the scriptures will not let you do is to sentimentalize this in some way and just say, you know what? God is offering you some easy path just so you can be happy. But John 3, 16, it's right there. It won't let you do that. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, what, might not perish but have everlasting life. He's doing this for a reason because he's saying apart from him, you will perish. And this place of the cross is where the wrath of God against that which is evil, that which destroys, meets his overwhelming love and together his wrath is satisfied. Do you begin to see what the trumpets are saying to us? The trumpets are saying, hey, God himself is the one who gives life. There is no other place. You can walk away from the creator, but you can't walk away from his judgment. He alone gives free, offers forgiveness. He alone offers freedom from his wrath. Now, I've spent a good bit of time talking about some bad news, but how about some good news, okay? As I said earlier, Christ bore our wrath for us. And you know what that means? Now, if you're a Christian, I want you to hear this because I think it's very easy for every single one of us in here to fall back into this mentality when we have gone astray, that somehow God has grown angry with us, and you know what? He's going to get us, you know? And if I don't start doing the right thing, I'm going to fall into his hands of judgment here. Listen, but that's not what the Bible actually tells us, that if you are in Christ Jesus, that if you come to him, what does it say? There is no more condemnation, period. Full stop. The wrath is gone. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 says what? That since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? If you're in Christ, you're saved, you're received, you're his, you're sealed. We talked about this last week. He sees you as his precious one. And now we're to go out as, and live as people of humility, of kindness, 
of love, of patience, reflecting God's glory and help people see, hey, you know what? You can have what I have because God offers it to you. Now, for those of you who are still trying to figure it all out, you know, I think all this passage begins to tell us is it's like that line from that old TV show, Lost in Space. There's this robot that goes around saying, warning, danger, Will Robinson, danger, you know? That you are in serious danger, okay? Listen to the, your conscience. Listen to God who is saying, I so desperately want you to come and to know me. You can't make it on your own. Our only hope is righteousness in Jesus because his standards are too high. The only way you're going to be made acceptable is actually through what he offers in Jesus himself. And don't forget, the one who comes in wrath is also the one who came in love. The Lord Jesus Christ who bore our wrath and says, I don't want to pour my wrath out on you. That, this is, this is what the scriptures are about. You know, when the seventh trumpet blows, you know what all of the 24 elders begin to say in chapter 11? It says, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. It shows us another vision inside the temple of God, and you see the Ark of the Covenant. And you see the law of God actually fulfilled. And it's saying everything's been satisfied by Jesus himself. And he's saying, will you come and receive what is offered? Consider that this week. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father and our God, we, uh, we come this morning asking you... Uh, to give us a humility to recognize how much we need what your son offers to us. So many of us think this is something that feels like we'll get to one day when things are really hard and we just need you to come and just give a little bit of yourself so we can just get through our week. But you want our whole selves. You want to forgive us. You want us to experience the satisfaction of knowing that we've been loved, we've been forgiven, all by the blood of the Lamb who was slain. And this morning, Lord, we pray that you would allow us to take just one step forward towards that reality. For others of us, we just need to re-embrace this and re-engage this and help us this week to consider your word and what you would have us to know. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.